0: Good morning.
1: Christ is risen. <laughs>
0: Indeed. Amen.
1: Today, our scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 16. This is on page 802 of the Bibles in the pubes in front of you. If you do not have a Bible at home, we would love for you to take one of these home with you today um, as a gift to you. So, again, Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning. morning. Man, Easter Sunday I feel like I'm already losing my voice just singing this morning, man, having everybody just singing it out. So great to hear all the voices here just in the room and just the energy here as we celebrate, man, really what is uh, so often just the highlight of our year as Christians as we think about the resurrection and all that Jesus has done. And it's a special treat for me this morning because we have spent the last 10 months studying Mark's gospel. And this morning, we finally get to come to the dramatic conclusion many, many months later. And we've been calling this series, Amazed by Jesus. And true to form, Mark's gospel ends on a note of amazement and astonishment. And so if you were following along in our scripture reading, verse 8, and they went out, fled from the tomb for trembling, and astonishment had seized them. And so Uh, we come to the end of the gospel, and it ends where it began with much amazement and much astonishment. Now, in one sense, the ending shouldn't be a total surprise. Jesus has already kind of spoiled the ending several times. You know, back in chapter 8, back in chapter 9, back in chapter 10, he has predicted his resurrection, that he's going to come back to life. But it's one thing to hear someone predict their resurrection, and another thing entirely for them to actually Pull it off, right? Clearly, the women in this story are lost somewhere between fear, awe, and amazement as they're wrestling with the reality of the resurrection. If Jesus is alive, right, that changes absolutely. Everything. I think some of us are really going to resonate with the abruptness of that ending, just to end on such a dramatic note of astonishment. I suspect some of us are going to be a little disappointed by the abruptness of the ending, having perhaps read the longer endings in the other Gospels Matthew, Luke, and John. In fact, the ending of Mark's Gospel is so abrupt that the early church was convinced that the original ending must have been lost or not completed. So they added a conclusion sourced from the other canonical gospels, bracketed off in our modern translations in verses 9 through 20. And I'd love to talk about that if you're interested in some of that wonderful textual issues over coffee. Uh, I love doing that sort of thing. But this morning, we are going to focus on what everyone agrees to be Mark's original material in verses 1 through 8. And there is a lot packed into these wonderful, glorious eight verses that we get to uh, enjoy this morning, and I think this abrupt ending offers us a wonderful invitation to evaluate our own response to the resurrection, to really let it come home to us in maybe new and fresh ways uh, this morning. Uh, Throughout the series, I've been collecting testimonies of people who have been amazed by Jesus in our own um, cultural context today. People from all over the spectrum, all over the map, because I'm just interested as a pastor who's talking about Jesus today in our own culture and uh, context. And this year, one of my favorite reads was uh, Bono's autobiography, Surrender. Um, Bono, obviously lead singer of the, you know, world famous you know, group U2 who've created some iconic songs and, um, you know, you have these four bandmates that have stuck together for 40 years, a thing, kind of unprecedented in the history of rock and roll. And, you know, you have Bono out doing all this incredible relief work all over the world. But what struck me most in his autobiography uh, was what he had to say about Jesus, right? Because those are the kind of things that I'm looking for as a pastor. And he said this, uh, of his, his early formative era with him and so, a couple of his bandmates, um, they were a part of what he called, and I love this, a holy roller church meeting of the very evangelical. And so here's Bono, here's Edge, a couple of the guys. They're hanging out in this you know, holy roller meeting of the very evangelical. And, and this is what he said about that experience, having grown up in the Church of Ireland. He said, um, in these early meetings, listening to the speakers of those meetings, I was further attracted to the God of Scripture. I wasn't sure I had ever encountered such a presence in our lovely little church of Ireland in St. Candace. I had met and briefly dated the clergy member's lovely daughter, so maybe I was a little bit distracted. Um, I did have some sense of the divine, but it was inchoate and formless. So when I started to uncover clues about the nature of this presence, I was fascinated. The Bible held me wrapped. The words stepped off the page and followed me home. I love that, right? That's the kind of thing we want to hear, Testimonies of Redemption City Church, right? The Bible jumped off the page and followed people home. And he went on to say this. It's so fascinating to read um, from a guy who's just out there making music. He said, I'd always be the first up when there was an altar call, the come to Jesus moment. I still am. If I was in a cafe right now and someone said, stand up if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I'd be the first one to be on my feet. I took Jesus with me everywhere, and I still do. I've never left Jesus out of the most banal or profane actions of my life. And I love that, right? There's a guy who is really amazed by Jesus, who's, who's gotten into the Jesus of Scripture, who's wrestled with him. And I don't know all of his journey or all of his story, but, but some of those glimpses to me are enough to say people are still, in our context, being amazed by Jesus. Jesus. And I want to highlight just a few more amazing things about Jesus in these final eight verses here of Mark's gospel this morning. And so three things I want to look at this morning, if you want to follow along, if you like to know where we're going ahead of time. The unusual eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection, verses one through three. The surprising announcement of Jesus' resurrection in verses four through seven. And then the dramatic response to Jesus' resurrection. And my Aim for this morning's sermon is that we too would be amazed by Jesus, would increasingly want to explore the implications of Jesus' resurrection for our lives. Whether you are a brand new Christian or whether you've been a Christian your whole life, I'm hoping that the amazement in Mark's gospel would draw all of us in more deeply into exploring the implications of what it means that Jesus is alive today. We get to be a part of what he's doing In the world. So let me pray this morning that God would meet us here as we dive into this scripture this morning. And so, Father, we come, God, humbly. dependent on you. God, we've got nothing to offer if you don't uh, show up. Make these words jump off the pages, as it were, and follow us home. Uh, so would you do that? Would you speak to your people by your word this morning? Uh, would the reality of the risen Christ come home to us in new and fresh moving ways? Would we be uh, increasingly a part of what you're doing in the world? Would our heart be more aligned with yours? Would we be a part of what you're doing in our time, and in our place. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Amen. So let's dive right into our scripture this morning. We're going to start with these unusual eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. Resurrection. So if you are reading along in your Bible, and I hope you are, hope you're following along. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles right in the uh, pew rack in front of you, page 802, you can follow along. I want to make sure that you can find this for yourself. Don't, t- don't take it on my, uh, on my word. Get into the scriptures for yourself. I love that sanctified sound of pages turning as people are reading through the scriptures and digging in together. That's a a glorious sound here. So verses one through three, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. As we come to the dramatic conclusion, Mark mentions three women who have been followers of Jesus. These women have already been mentioned with Jesus at the cross. If you flip back to chapter 15, verse 40 through 41, you'll see that women were a big part of Jesus' ministry and mission. So uh, listen to these words in uh, in Mark 15, starting at verse 40. There are also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, once again, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and uh, Salome, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. It's interesting that while Jesus' disciples get a lot of attention in Mark's gospel, don't miss the women who ministered to Jesus and followed him all the way to the cross. Right? Mark makes a point of it. They're mentioned here in Mark 15. He makes a mention of them again in Mark 15:47, and finally here in Mark 16, 1 through 3, the women are here to anoint the body. And while the disciples have fled, denied Jesus, or betrayed him, right, these women have followed him to the cross and all the way to what they thought was going to be his final resting place. Strikingly, in all four gospel accounts, they are the first to receive the news of Jesus Resurrection, and that might not be surprising to you today, as you think about that and go, "Of course, you know we live in a very egalitarian society, and so of course Mark would want to sprinkle in some ideas for the men and for the women, and kind This was utterly unprecedented in the first century, right? These women um, would not even their testimony was not even admissible in court. So to use them as eyewitnesses by name, so that people could follow up with them, ask about their story, was something utterly unprecedented, so unique about the ministry of Jesus. If these accounts were written hundreds of years after the fact, as is often suggested today, it would make absolutely no sense to include women as eyewitnesses. In fact, it would have actually decreased the credibility of these gospel accounts. Early critics of Christianity made a point of this. In the second century, the uh, pagan critic Celsus accused the early church father Origen of following the gossip about women, the gossip of women about an empty tomb. Uh, clearly not a lot of respect for women in the first several centuries, right? People didn't believe women. They thought they were too hysterical, right? They weren't logical. They weren't reasoned enough to be able to give actually informed eyewitness testimony. What made no sense in the early centuries of Christianity and guys like Origen are or having to defend the credibility of the gospel now serves as proof of the authenticity of Mark's account. The only reason these women would have been listed as eyewitnesses is if this event actually happened. And so don't miss Jesus' heart uh, for these marginalized women as central witnesses to his resurrection. They get the privilege of being a first to hear the good news. Jesus was constantly uplifting women who are an integral part of his ministry. And this would have been so unique in the first century context where Jewish men get this, they would thank God every day that God didn't make them a woman. <laughs> uh, God, I thank you that I'm not a woman or a Gentile or they had a whole long list of things that they prayed, and here is Jesus dignifying women, uh, lifting women up, uh, having them a part of His ministry and mission. Jesus bestowed a dignity on these women, and they followed Him all the way to the end. And so we see have seen the unlikely people Jesus chose to be part the first eyewitnesses to His resurrection. Next, we need to look at the surprising announcement of Jesus' resurrection because Mark gives us a dramatic announcement that Jesus is, in fact, alive. So if you're following along your text, look at verses 4 through 6. And looking up, they came, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And so you have this story arriving, The women arrive, the huge stone has already been rolled away. They don't find a corpse to anoint, but rather a mysterious figure waiting for them at the tomb, an angel incognito, as it were, who just happens to know that they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth and can confirm that he was in fact crucified and buried right in this place. Uh, But then he gives them the good news, right? This is the banner news of our text. This is what we are celebrating today. This is the flag we're kind of waving today. Jesus has risen. He is not here. He is not in this place. And that is tremendously revolutionary good news. Uh, If Jesus is alive, everything is about to change. And sure enough, as Mark's gospel comes to a conclusion, We see a whole new mission is about to launch as the gospel explodes out from Jerusalem in the first century. So there's an empty tomb. There's an announcement of Jesus' resurrection. But what's missing here in Mark's gospel Nobody's actually seen Jesus yet, right? I mean, there's, there's so far we get an angelic announcement, there's an empty tomb. Those are important signs that maybe something has happened, but no one has seen Jesus yet, which sets us up here for verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This is very important that we notice this. And a couple things I just... I just love about this text. There's so much tucked in here. We could spend so much time in this. But first, don't miss the grace extended to Jesus' disciples here in verse 12. Remember, Judas betrayed him. He went and hung himself, we know from the other Gospels. The rest of the disciples fled, and Peter did what? Remember Peter? He denied him three times. You could talk back. I appreciate a little talk back there. You You guys can be engaged here, right? Peter denied him how many times? Three times, right? And so... This message to the disciples is not just simply instructions here. This is the grace of God, right? This woman, or this angel, gives these women an opportunity to tell Jesus' remaining disciples, well, they might have abandoned him. He hasn't abandoned them, right? Notice how the angel gives specific instruction for the women to go to Peter, who must have been absolutely devastated by his denial of Jesus and they get to tell him, look, Jesus isn't finished with you yet. What beautiful grace is extended to these men. Don't miss the grace in this text, right? Uh, Jesus' heart for his disciples, his devastated disciples, this angel, this messenger, who's going to send them to just bring the grace of God to them. Uh, And what a beautiful way to send these women who could probably do it in a very sensitive, wonderful way, uh, just the way to encourage the disciples, just the way they needed to be encouraged. Second, don't miss the promise that they will see him, right? This is crucial, right? Jesus is alive and they will have a chance to verify it for themselves, right? The women are going to be the first eyewitnesses to see Jesus and actually believe in him. We see that in Matthew's account. We see that in Luke's account. Peter and Thomas have unforgettable encounters with the risen Christ, which could be their own sermons by themselves. Two disciples have a mind-blowing conversation with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And the rest of the disciples not only get to see him, but touch him and get to share a meal with him, Paul tells us that more than 500 others, most of whom were still alive when he was writing, have also seen him as well, along with Jesus' brother James and Paul himself last. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 15. So there is an empty tomb. There are numerous eyewitness encounters to the risen Christ over 40 days, which Mark's readers could then go and verify. They're still alive. And finally, there is the explosive growth of the church in fulfillment of Jesus' great commission. Uh, Matthew picks up where Mark left off. You know, Mark left off saying, go to Galilee. Listen to what Jesus is going to tell you. Mark picks up on that point where Jesus is in Galilee, giving his disciples his final words before ascending, returning to heaven, sending to his throne, and beginning to advance the church that we've already sung about today. In Matthew 28, he says these words, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There were dozens of messiahs who came and went in the decades before and after Jesus, but every one of them died, and their followers died. Scattered. Even though Jesus' death was certified by a Roman centurion, his movement not only didn't die, it spread like wildfire throughout the Greco-Roman world. In 300 years, the Roman emperor himself was so impacted by Christianity right, that he himself became a Christian. Right? The empire itself was Christianized. What turned these fearful, doubting disciples into fearless missionaries, willing to sacrifice their lives for the spread of, Of the gospel. I would submit to you that the only plausible explanation for this movement that has spread in the face of intense persecutions is that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. And that's what we're celebrating here this morning. And uh, don't take my word only for it. This news is so shockingly good that it's changed the world. Even people that aren't Christians have had to acknowledge this. Uh, One of my favorite testimonies to this is uh, the agnostic uh, uh, French philosopher, Luc Ferry, in his uh, brief history of thought. Listen to what he said, his testimony to the impact of Christianity. Uh, He said this, I would like to explain Why Christian thought gained the upper hand over Greek thought and dominated Europe until the Renaissance. This is no small achievement. There must surely be reason for this hegemony. In fact, as we shall see, Christians came up with answers to the human questions about mortality, which have no equivalent in Greek thought. Answers so successful, if you like, so attractive, so indispensable, that they convinced a large proportion of humanity. And that's not a pastor preaching. This is an agnostic, right? Who's just looking at the history of Christianity and its spread has to acknowledge and recognize the impact Christianity has. And I want to just give you three testimonies from an agnostic uh, that are what really impacted and changed the world. First, the reality of a God of love revealed in the person of Jesus. Right? The Greek and Roman gods were petty, they were vindictive. Christianity offered something far more compelling, right? A Savior who would come and die for his enemies, a God of love, not just in a sentimental, Hallmark-esque sort of patronizing sense, but a God of incredible love, a God who would willing to give his life in exchange for his subject. This absolutely revolutionized the world in which the gospel first spread. Second, the dignity and worth of every human being on earth. That was something that we take for granted today. It's a legacy of the culture we live in, but Greek and Roman society was highly stratified. Um, Of course, who would you guess was at the top of the food chain in Greek and Roman culture? Any guesses? (laughs) the men, right? (laughs) The head of the family, the patriarch, right? That person had the most value and dignity. And then, you know, women, they had some value. And then children, a little more value. Slaves, you know, very any value. Servants. And you went down, and that was the world they lived in, right? You just had to deal with your place in uh, society. But Christianity radically revolutionized this culture by talking about the value of every human being made in God's image. Uh, Luke Furry again says this. He said, the philosophy of human rights to which we subscribe today would never have been established by itself. It is part of the legacy of Christianity. The fact that we look around us and say every human being is dignity, value, and worth made in God's image, that is a contribution of Christianity. And finally, the resurrection hope, right? This is something radically new, right? Well, well, some Jews believed in a resurrection at the end of the age. The devout Jews, there were others that didn't. Like the Sadducees, Greeks and Romans had no categories for life after death, other than going to the underworld, being a shade, being a ghost, uh, living your life in a in a non embodied state, right? New bodies, a new heaven, new earth, no more tears, heaven, a perfect world of love. These were. So revolutionary that they absolutely rocked the Greco roman world. The idea that there could be life after death, reunion with loved ones, uh, life together with God, that on our life, at the very best, right, in our best experience, the greatest joy is only just a foretaste of the great joy that we're going to experience hereafter, was something that absolutely revolutionized the world. While as an agnostic, uh, Luke Ferry must conclude that Christianity, you know, it's a great idea, you know, but it's all wishful thinking. You know, This stuff couldn't actually be true, but it was so compelling that he's like, it changed the world, maybe because it was true. But I love these testimonies because I think sometimes as Christians, we just kind of look at the beliefs that we have and go, oh yeah, that's what we've always believed. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Uh, sometimes we need to see Christianity through the eyes of people that aren't familiar with it to appreciate just how radical it actually is. And so we've looked at the unlikely eyewitnesses this surprising announcement. And finally, the dramatic response to Jesus' resurrection in verse 8. I love this ending here. It's just so dramatic. Um, It's so abrupt. Um, And uh, and it gives us an opportunity to process the enormity of what I've just been trying to sketch here in the last few minutes. In verse 8, and they went out. This is so interesting. They went out, fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What an ending here, right? We saw back in verse five that the women were alarmed by the presence of this mysterious young man sitting in the tomb. Who is this guy? And how does he know about Jesus and where he's at and what he's doing? The Greek word for alarmed, there in verse five, found only in Mark means both fear, wonder, astonishment, and distress, according to one of the commentators. So really, These women are running the full gamut of emotions, and Mark is using all these words to try and cover the ground, the the emotional landscape that they're living in, right? The, The fear, the trembling, the awe, the astonishment, the amazement. They're in such a state of shock, at least initially, they couldn't even bring the news to the disciples, right? No one was expecting Jesus to come back to life, even though he had promised that he would repeatedly. The mortality rates in the first century were horrific right they were confronted by death far more frequently and forcefully than we are today everyone would have had experienced death up close and personal so there's no naivety about the reality and finality of death especially of roman crucifixion they were experts at making sure people were not just partly dead but totally dead right the women's shock is yet another clue To the authenticity of this account, there would certainly be no need to add such embarrassing details if the gospel were written hundreds of years later. Why why talk about a bunch of hysterical women at the end of the gospel if, in fact, something dramatic, revolutionary, world-shaking just happened? Now, the other gospel accounts pick up the story, show them not only telling the disciples, but seeing Jesus personally. But at this point, the news has totally overwhelmed them. They need to process what It means, I love how authentically Mark records this account, right? No attempts to tidy up the ending, just trembling, astonishment, and fear. I would submit that this is the only legitimate response to someone rising from the dead. It would be so surprising, so astonishing, so paradigm-shifting that would cause you to question everything you ever believed before. This is where the women are at the end of Mark's gospel, and I think this is where we should be if we're to do justice to the enormity of the resurrection. If we aren't shocked and astonished and amazed, we might not really be getting it. While it's comforting, right, to think that Jesus' resurrection, we could be confident of a new life for ourselves, and new heaven and new earth without tears, it's also a bit terrifying to think that if Jesus is alive, we will stand before him to give an account for every careless word, thought and action right this could throw anyone into a comprehensive chaos right to reflect on someone rising from the dead someone knowing all of our intimate thoughts and all of our motivations and desires everything about us mark's gospel gives us permission to run the full gamut of emotions we get to wrestle with these what these eyewitnesses have passed Onto us, and if Jesus really did die for our sins and really did defeat death, wouldn't you want to learn more? Wouldn't you want to dig deeper? Wouldn't you want to unpack the implications of this more for your life and learn more about it? Let me make, in closing, just three. Uh, recommendations here, three ways you might follow up on a message like this about um, the resurrection. If you're unfamiliar with Christianity and you're here this morning, we're so glad you've joined us, and um, we really hope this is an opportunity for you to learn more about what is central to Christianity, what is at the very center of of our hope. But if you're new to Christianity, let me recommend you start with just basic gospel literacy, right? Start with the accounts of Jesus in the canonical gospels. Read them for yourself. Jesus' death and resurrection are the very center of the good news. And we should like, like nothing better than for you to explore them with us. While it's tempting, right, to get caught up on all the secondary cultural issues that are swirling around us right now, and be like, yeah, I would explore Christianity except for uh, name whatever your favorite uh, pet issue uh, might be. I want to encourage you to start with the resurrection. I love how Tim Keller says this. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about what he said at all, right? right? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Because if he is, in fact, alive, then you have to answer to him and all that he has. In fact, I'd So I encourage you to start with the resurrection. There is a beautiful uh, amount of historical and uh, other arguments to help you have confidence in the truthfulness and veracity of the resurrection. Second, if you've grown up in the church, it's easy for the death and resurrection of Jesus to become pious platitudes, I think, or disconnected fragments of the faith. You may be in need of a little bit of gospel awakening, right? This is an invitation for you to see the truth goodness, and beauty of it all, right? For it not just like, oh yeah, Jesus died, blah, 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 I've been hearing that my entire life. You know? uh, listen to what Jared Wilson says about this in his book, Gospel Wakefulness. I thought this was helpful for those of us maybe that are sleepy Christians. We've been around these doctrines. We could quote them in our sleep, but, but they've just become rather dull to us. He says this, The gradual dawn of gospel wakefulness is occurring for you as the Spirit brings your sins to mind, pours out more grace upon you, and bears more fruit of good character and good works in you. To this end, you should read the gospel, you should listen to the gospel, you should sing the gospel, you should write the gospel, you should share the gospel and preach the gospel, all the while asking God to administer its power more and more In your life, situate yourself constantly in the crosshairs of the gospel. You cannot behold if you aren't looking. As my friend uh, Ray Ortlund has been known to say, stare at the glory of God until you actually see it. There's an invitation for us, right? Uh, to gospel awakening, to gospel renewal, if it's gotten cold and stale and we're apathetic in our faith, an opportunity to really dwell in the gospel. We hope this church is a place where the gospel becomes more sweet and more dear to you as you spend time here. And then finally, you may be here this morning and going through a season of deconstruction, right? There's so many deconstruction stories swirling around us today. Uh, so much of what you thought you knew about Christianity is brought into question. Uh, maybe it's the subculture you were raised in, maybe it's abuse, maybe it's some of the hot cultural issues you're having, uh, maybe you've been hurt by the church, or some of the intellectual questions you had that just never were answered to your satisfaction. You may be in need of a little gospel reconstruction, right? right? Deconstruction can be a healthy process, especially when it's a process of decluttering, deculturizing, right, and making the faith your own, not just your, your parents or something you, you grew up with. Uh, but it also, right, it can be a healthy thing, right? But when we start jettisoning the core elements of Christianity, we lose, right, the center of it all. We hope this church is a place uh, for you to grow, rebuild your faith, build it on the foundation of Jesus. And I hope this sermon is just maybe a little invitation to prod you towards that great work of reconstruction around uh, the risen Christ and what he's doing. I want to close with a quote from the very uh, last paragraph of C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. I know, we can't have a Mike Bartlett sermon without a C.S. Lewis quote at the end. (laughs) Sorry, but not sorry. I'm going to give it to you anyways here. This is a great place. By the way, if you're exploring your faith, I love Mere Christianity. It's a wonderful uh, book. But I thought this hopes maybe bring home the reality uh, for you of what it means to really give your life to Jesus. He says, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death, death of your own ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you'll find him and with him everything else thrown in. I love that final expression, look to Christ and you'll find him and with him everything else thrown in. As a church, that's the invitation we have for you this morning to, to look to Christ and find all that He is for us, all of His grace and His mercy and His love and His power at work in us, uh, all of the beautiful invitation that He has for us to be a part of what He is doing in the world. So we have an opportunity this morning to look to Christ, and then we're going to hear stories uh, here in a few moments uh, as we do some baptisms of people that are looking. To Christ in their lives. But before we do that, let me pray uh, this morning. Father, we thank you for the resurrection, that Jesus is alive and we get to be a part of what he's doing in the world. We get to experience the love and the grace that he's given us. We get to live it out together in a community uh, that is Uh, intent on following what Jesus said and walking in the ways that he's told us to do. Uh, One of those things being baptism. So we thank you for the stories, the people that are come and share. Um, God, we pray that all that said might be honoring, glorifying to you. We pray in Jesus' name.